Hey everyone, Mike here with the uh, Hilco Homes podcast. And today I'm chatting with Adriel and we're going to get into a little bit of stuff about the day-to-day of Hilco and what you can do to be improving in your wholesale game. So stay tuned. So last week we did an episode where we were talking about heading over to the Longhorn office and, uh, you know, that, that whole stuff about getting sponsors and, um, how that works, you know, behind the scenes. And, um, uh, I had a lot of fun talking about that cause you know, the, the media side of things I, I really enjoy. Um, you know, one of my hobbies is being a musician. That's kind of where it all, it all stemmed from. Um, but today we're talking a little bit more on the wholesale real estate side of things. You know, we want to, uh, just chat in general about the day to day of what we do here at Hilco. Um, as you know, I'm the, uh, systems director, also the host of the podcast. And, um, today I've actually done quite a bit. Um, normally the team shows up at about nine 15 ish to the office. That's kind of like the only one universal rule that everybody here recognizes. Um, and, and part of that is because everybody here on the team is pretty much a 1099 independent contractor. So, Excuse you know, me. we're not, uh, uh, employees per se. So there's no real nine to five strict scheduling type of thing, but, um, it's basically more of everyone report to home base. Let's hash out the plan and then go do your thing. Right. And, uh, uh, but normally I'm here earlier. Um, like for example, today I got to the office about eight o'clock and, um, I was knocking out a couple of things in a podio because, uh, I had to do a training, um, over screen share with an individual in Dallas who um, has purchased a, a, a podio system from us and um, needed to learn how to how to use it. So I created everything, uh, put it all together for him, uh, made sure, double checked uh, all the the references, the reference fields, um, and most of the automations were complete so that I could show him how to use that. I still have to go back and finish the automations, but. Um, yeah, so that, that was like an hour and a half conversation over the phone and, uh, screen sharing. And since then I have been working on, uh, lead lists. So, um, yeah, that's exciting and frustrating in a variety of ways. But, um, the, the big thing was we have started using, uh, call tools, which is one of the newest, uh, software systems that we're implementing with the team. And for those of you who don't know, call tools is a bulk auto dialer, which means you upload, uh, your lead list and their phone numbers. And this system will start automatically calling through that list. And as soon as someone answers, it stops calling and it lets you take that phone call, talk to that person, you know, whatever. Um, and then when you hang up, you, it continues where, where it left off. Um, so that allows, uh, the, anybody using it to do a much higher volume of phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it averages about 
20 to 30 calls an hour or something like that. Um, whereas if, um, actually, no, I think it does a lot more than that, like maybe closer to a hundred. Um, and whereas if you're doing it manually, uh, which you could probably realistically do about 30 to 40 an hour, um, or 20, depending on how, how quality that lead list is. Um, but yeah, so I had to, I had a couple of lead lists come back from skip tracing. I had to format them, uh, get them into call tools, make sure that um, the campaigns are labeled correctly, the numbers are associated correctly, and you know all the all the little details, so that the team can just start calling and not have to worry about anything other than taking the calls, um, and you know just doing a lot of uh, follow up. I wouldn't say busy work because it's kind of important, but it's like the smaller tasks, you know, like going through my emails and checking anything that I, I might have missed or um, responding to all the Slack messages, uh, updating people on other things that I'm, I'm working on or asking for updates. And yeah, I mean, I, I had to take a break, uh, came out of my office, saw uh, Adriel was working on something and I asked him if he needed help with it. And um turns out he has a interesting lead that he he's working actually uh, let's talk about that for a little bit um how did you get that lead so yeah <clears throat> quick recap i got that lead uh through a <coughs> friend on facebook uh actually don't know him in person it's a gentleman that uh every now and then he gives me a call for advice and questions about wholesale he's starting out wholesale independently he has systems he has VAs he has all those things that we can actually touch on a little bit later in the conversation but anyway uh, he reached out to me he said he had met a gentleman has about uh, a property on three acres and then uh, next to another like 33 acres that mm. him and his sister share and um, that he's looking to maybe sell his share of those acres um, but first off, starting with the house and um, looking at the numbers, <clears throat> it's outside city limits and we're still trying to determine exactly what the value is. But um, he reached out to me because he didn't want to make um, an inaccurate offer right. uh, without having more clarification, you know, backing it up. So I'm always an open book. So he reached out to me and, and, and we've had a few discussions on, on whenever he had questions on VAs and, and his uh, any advice or my opinions on some things that he was doing and it's it's great how that turned out uh relationship wise because mm -hmm. it went from just a couple messages on facebook to uh, i was like yeah man here's my number feel free to reach out and he'll be calling me he's like hey drill this is uh Philmon, and uh and you know this is uh i got actually something that's going on and um it would be really great if I could JV with you and I'm like sure thing man and, uh, that's all we do here you know <laughs> not all we do but that's a big part of the business and I think that's important to touch on a little later is the JV uh, aspect of wholesale that um, of course not anyone's going to get rich off of one deal right? Uh, but it's about the number of deals that you're working on and uh, the turnaround of each one so if you have enough deals in your pipeline all being moved whether by yourselves or jv um it works out for the better yeah, yeah it's one of those uh like principles of business like you're there it's a spectrum of of business operations so on one end you have um low yield high volume mm -hmm. so think 
Walmart, Costco, right? So mm-hmm. like, like they sell a lot mm-hmm. all the time and, but the prices that they charge are, are minimal, right? So to you as the consumer, um, it's inexpensive, but to like the company of Walmart, like they're not making a whole lot per each individual sale, which is why they have to do massive amounts of sales in order to generate the revenue that they generate. Or you're on the other side of the spectrum, low volume, high yield. So mm-hmm. think Ferrari, right? Mm-hmm. Or Lamborghini. Like they literally only make a handful of cars every single year and then they sell them. And because of their market share, they're well known. They are known for their vehicles, the way they look, the way they drive, the way they sound. Um, like they, they have that market that they are competitive in and they can sell, but they don't sell a whole lot. And, and that's part of the strategy as well. I know, um, like Rolls Royce, for example, like they, they on purpose, it's part of their strategy to only make a certain number of cars because by limiting those cars, it increases the value of, um, what is that term? Exclusivity. That's what Mm. it is. So when you, when you create exclusivity, um, and this is, this is done in by a lot of companies. Um, in fact, uh, one thing uh, I can I can think of in recent memory was if you follow Gary V, um, you know that he purchased and took over uh, K Swiss, and then he started his own line of Gary V shoes. Right. So the first shoes that came out, I thought they were they looked really cool. They looked super comfortable. Um, I think it was he called them the clouds and dirt or something like that. You mm. know, it was pretty cool. Um, in the launch though, he was only selling like a certain number of shoes and they were going to sell really quick because, you know, he has a following people are going to, mm-hmm. going to go and buy the like shoes. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and so, uh, he, he leveraged his like social media influence status and then combined that by creating an exclusive product and of course sold all all of the limited quantity but after that limited quantity run so to speak they just started regularly producing the shoes yeah, which re-release. which what they did was the reality is they actually made all those shoes and the production line is still continuously producing them because financially operationally it doesn't make sense to produce a limited quantity um, if you're not going to sell them at super high prices <clears throat> So they already had the shoes made, but they basically had them sitting in a warehouse until after they felt Mm -hmm. that the exclusivity period was done and they could just start marketing it again. And they were selling them at the same price. Yeah. That's the the tool of building urgency, you know, right. Big sales strategy, building urgency and emotion and, oh God, you know, this special is only for... I really can't even tell you when it's going to end. It can be tomorrow. It can be later. I'm not going to lie to you. So (laughs) it can end really whenever. Uh, But if you like it enough, now's the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That urgency. Yeah. That's pretty great. But um, yeah. So on that spectrum, you're either really high volume, low yield, or you're really high yield, low volume, or somewhere in between. And it's no different with wholesaling. 
And, you know, when it comes to wholesaling contracts on houses, uh, you're either doing high volume transactions. So a lot of deals in uh, in a month, in a week, in a year, you know, whatever your your metric is. But each of those deals are probably going to be small assignment fees. Uh, one way to to do that is joint venturing or I I don't like using the term joint venture because technically you're not creating a venture. Um, there's no no business established for that transaction. A more accurate term would be co-wholesaling because that's what you're doing. You're taking a contract from an existing wholesaler um, or rather you're getting an existing contract from a wholesaler and they're reassigning it to you, which then you reassign to a buyer. So they have the contract, you have the buyer, together you work to make the deal done. And that's a really great way to uh, to do business in wholesaling, uh, especially when you're brand new and you don't have the resources to find your own leads or uh, the time to work your own leads and, and all that stuff. It's a little different to find a buyer than it is to find a seller because a buyer can, can be repeat business, whereas a seller, typically it's a one and done deal. Like, and, and that's why a lot of people in wholesaling, um, they approach wholesaling <clears throat> as a, uh, a means to an end. You know, it's, it's a great, uh, cash alternative to something like flipping, because if you're going to go flip a house you need some capital and right. now don't get me wrong. There's tons of other people's money or OPM that you can leverage, whether it's hard money or private money. Um, and, and even with hard money, you can come out of pocket $0, but the fine print of it, <clears throat> the fact of the matter still remains that until that asset is performing or sold, you still have loan payments to make. So, you still need capital to some degree, you know, even if it's with a private lender. I mean, if you're super savvy and really lucky and maybe you have an in with somebody that you that you know really well, that you can defer your own your those payments until after this property has sold or has been rented and your cash flowing, that would be pretty awesome. But Maybe by far, <laughs> yeah, by far and large, um, if you're going into a deal like that, you're going to have a responsibility of loan repayments. So you need that capital. One way to do that is get into wholesaling because in wholesaling, the liability is can you or can you not find a buyer? There's really no money out of pocket on your end um, unless it's like earnest money, which you can do 10 bucks, 50 bucks or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, to, to get the contract under, um, under your belt and then go find the buyer. Um, but finding the buyer, some cases it can be a little difficult, especially in a market like right now where it's super hot. Everybody's in real estate. Everybody wants to be a wholesaler and an investor. And if you go on Facebook and you post, Hey, I've got a deal in San Antonio, Texas, and, um, who's looking to buy 90% of the responses are other wholesalers. Um, so it's kind of hard to, you know, pick out the actual buyers from mm -hmm. the wholesalers. Um, and I guess that's where things like networking events come in, where you can meet people face to face. They can, uh, 
you know, recognize who you are and be like, oh yeah, you're that guy who I see on Facebook all the time. And, um, you know, and, and building that rapport with people who are actual buyers and, and reaching out to them when you have a contract or when you find someone else who has a contract that needs a buyer and you can, I mean, you, you should be communicating with people that are buyers so that you know what they're looking to buy so that you can keep an eye out for it. Like right. if you know that, you know, Joe Bob, um, only buys houses built after 1980 that are three to 1200 square feet or more, um, and has a budget of, uh, the property having an ARV less than 300,000. Great. You have your criteria. If you find someone that has a deal that checks off all those boxes, then you're going to go turn around to Joe Bob and say, Hey, I found a deal that fits everything that you look for. Um, you know, let's get this, let's get this thing done. Like, you know, there should be really no hangups because that's what he's looking for. Right. Right. Easy peasy. Um, and, and, uh, I think that's, Part of what this episode is going to be about is talking about co-wholesaling. Now, in the past, I've done a couple of episodes about co-wholesaling. Um, I've done them uh, with Alex. I've talked to them about that with Ian and with Hernando. But today with uh, Adriel, what we're going to talk about is how do you co-wholesale in completely different markets? Um, you know, that's that's a... a it's kind of a, a difficult thing to do because for one, um, I don't know anything about those markets, right? right? So how do you, how do you approach understanding if that contract is even a deal or not? Right. And I, I think a big part of that is just more of, of collecting like-minded individuals in that market to really get boots on the ground, I guess, in a sense, where you have deals coming in, maybe you have a few wholesalers that you see are, are interacting most often in that market in retrospect. Maybe you'll see a, a property that they post and you'll comment, say, hey, give me the details on that. And um, you just want to get to know the person. Hey, you know, I see that you're actively doing real estate. What areas do you work in? You know, and just opening that door to that relationship and seeing, well, if it's something, do you guys do a lot of volume? Uh, maybe we have buyers that we can work with uh, for your deals <clears throat> and vice versa. And um, I think that's an important key is just having that relationship established in that other market. Um, just on a regular basis, how great would it be to where you have a person you can call a close friend, if not partner mm -hmm. in that market that, is willing to meet with the sellers in that area. Um, maybe even already has an in with contractors that do that type of work. So that's a big important aspect of it is, you know, getting bids and numbers. Now, that's a, that's an interesting one that you bring up because I think that's one of the hardest things to do because, um, everybody has an idea in their head of what a rehab is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously if you're going to do it as a fix and flip rehab is going to be higher because you're going to yeah. be using better materials, better quality things. You want it to be competitive in the market with other, um, you know, retail sales, uh, properties, especially those that are being newly built or other newly renovated properties. Right. Whereas with a rental property, you're not going to go as all in on, on the, rehab yeah i was thinking more like materials or quality of materials because 
Um, let's face it, they're renters. Most renters are going to trash the place or they're not going to keep, uh, keep it the, to the, the best of its condition. Mm-hmm. That's just the, the reality of being a landlord as, a, as an investor. Um, and that's why with our numbers, we always give a range for, for rehabs. Um, but one of the things that uh, is difficult to navigate, I guess, would be the best way to say it, is, uh, is getting accurate rehab bids from contractors. Because, um, like I said, everybody looks at it differently. We don't know those contractors. And the last thing we want to do is, quote unquote, recommend a contractor to a buyer and if they use that contractor and they end up doing a shitty job mm-hmm. that makes us look bad yeah cred- credibility is super <clears throat> important uh, credibility is super important when it comes to those um, relationships for sure because reputation is everything I mean how, how tight knit the community uh, in wholesale investments as it is is in Texas I'm sure there's a whole nother click of uh, companies working in other markets, uh, other states. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I know you uh, were going to bring up the uh, idea of building a brand in, in this episode, which is also very important because, you know, that's that's your reputation. It's, uh, you know, it's what people associate you with. So um, I think Hilco has done a, a tremendous job about putting their brand out there as the company being being completely transparent and wanting to educate people about wholesaling and investing in real estate. Like if you ask anybody, any content that you see from us, we're always there to reach out to you and we're not going to hold anything back. And, and we like to keep that reputation as uh, being positive, being transparent, being helpful um, but we also have a reputation of having a high quality of business. You know, we, we go the extra mile and that's, that's super important. So when dealing with other wholesalers, um, we have to be picky about who we work with because, um, you know, not, not everybody has that same mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples, you know, like, um, I've reached out to, um, wholesalers in other markets like Indiana or um, wasn't Illinois. Where, where else was it? Uh, I want to say it was North Carolina, possibly. Um, but uh, you know, I, I've I reached out to these individuals because I saw they had a contract um, and they had posted it on Facebook, and the posting was like seven days old. Um, I reached out and I said, Hey, you know what? If this is still available chances are um it's overpriced and that's why it hasn't sold so maybe they'll negotiate with me because if it's been sitting on the market for more than seven days um that means it's pretty much coming close to the end of its contract and they are they have a degree of motivation to negotiate with me and of course i'll reach out and they'll say oh these are the arvs this is the um you know the asking price or whatever and it's like that's all the information you can give me. Like if I'm going to push a contract, I need to know more about this contract. You know, like, do you have pictures? Do you have video? You know, what's, what's the estimated repairs? And, uh, pretty much if someone comes back to you and says, uh, it's up to the investor to decide what the repairs are going to be. Um, that's pretty much a red flag for me that this person, uh, doesn't know what they're talking about or they're being shady. Yeah. And, uh, 
and that's not that's not good for business you know so normally if i get that kind of response and 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 they can provide pictures and i can look at the pictures um i can tell tell them with a fair degree of certainty that their numbers don't work and that's why it hasn't sold and usually when those situations nothing happens because Mm -hmm. you know they they don't want to hear that unfortunately um but that's that's the way it is sometimes and um you know the other the other big thing is with arvs you know like um I want to know how those people got those numbers, uh, and I don't want to hear that you know they pulled stuff from Zillow, and that's that's what it was. You know, like if they don't have access to a real estate agent or someone else in the market that can pull a CMA correctly, mm-hmm. and there's tons of resources out there to to help you do that, um, and, and if it's basically just a guesstimate that's that's not a good sign <laughs> yeah definitely i mean something i'll touch on there is <clears throat> big part is you know the accuracy of your numbers the credibility of, of of your resources but in some cases not every contract's going to be a deal and, right. and I, I think starting out that was something that i was kind of glazing over i was like oh there's a contract in this one's a deal first deal or second deal third deal and uh you know when you really dive into these numbers and you're like wow this is a doo-doo i can't <laughs> i don't know how i can make this work um i don't think anyone was willing to pay 50k extra just to get into this property yeah when there's so many other properties out there or how was this you know bid 30k off off of their estimation versus when we got an actual bid you know this is hard numbers from our guys that we yeah. use and i and i think that's yeah that's the the fact of the matter is not every deal is uh or not every contract is a deal right yeah i mean you can make it happen <clears throat> but it's it's a it's up to both parties to really realize where the numbers uh are falling short and where they can be revisited i think we we love using that word mm-hmm. like this looks like we're close, but it looks like we're going to have to revisit price down the line or we'll have to revisit uh, the rehab or something. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it just comes down to um, it may not always be the wholesaler's fault. Right. I mean, there's some cases where, um, and you know, this happened recently that it, a brand new wholesaler, um, they don't really have uh, mentorship. and. Mm-hmm they're using just basic concepts of what wholesaling is and how to do it. And they're doing their best, you know, it's just, they don't have enough experience or education to understand and evaluate a deal properly. And, um, you know, we recently got, um, a couple of deals sent to us from, from several different wholesalers and it was all kind of in the same realm, right? Where, um, they give us the numbers. They say this is our asking price, and I I always ask. I'm I don't ever assume anything, so I always ask: Is your asking price including your fee? Um, because if it is, then I need to d- determine if it's better to split that fee 50-50, or if I can put something on top and you know we we both win. Um, and to find out how much their fee is, because if we have to negotiate down that's going to be the first thing we negotiate because it's much harder to go back to the seller and tell them we need to price drop than it is to tell the wholesaler to do a price drop on their fee. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we got these things, looked at the numbers, uh, they gave us rehab numbers and, um, the rehab numbers were, you know, were fairly accurate. We could use them. It was okay. 
um, ARVs, they gave us ARVs and it was like, man, this is a really tight deal. The first thing I need to do is validate the rehab and the ARV, make sure that those numbers, you know, are, are accurate. So I went and pulled comps, found out the ARV was actually, what they were giving me was like 10,000 more than what the comps were showing. So I went with, with the comps and that was always, it's always, you know, better to be more conservative. Um, and so, you know, I looked at those numbers and it was like, man, at these numbers, the investor would be paying like 12 grand more than what the property is worth after repair. So of course we have to go renegotiate. Turns out that there's a mortgage on the house and there's back taxes, taxes that are owed. And, uh, and, and this, these wholesalers were evaluating the deal from a cash purchase perspective. And so next thing was, okay, me being who I am, I, I don't like to give up on anything and say no. I mean, I, I do know when something's you know, not workable, but this right. one I saw potential as a subject too. So I said, hey, have you considered this as a subject too? Um, have you talked to the seller about this as a possibility? They didn't know what that was, had to explain it. And then we went back and forth and back and forth with the, with the seller, the wholesaler, me and potential buyer. And, um, you know, it was a, a really complicated cycle, but sometimes that's what it takes. Right. And in that process, this wholesaler learned a whole lot about subject twos and how to communicate with their seller. Unfortunately, the deal fell through because we just didn't have the time on the contract and the numbers just did not work like this. This was the kind of deal that shouldn't have been contracted in the first place, you know, uh, but that's just comes with education and experience and it's not his fault. You know, he's, he was trying, he he took action. He did what he needed to do. He got a contract. Unfortunately, it wasn't at the, at the right price point or at the right timing. Um, but you know, kudos to him. He's, he's making it happen. It's just a matter of time before, you know, things start hitting and he starts, you know, uh, uh, growing as a wholesaler. Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to building those relationships, it, it helps to have, now I'm a big supporter of having the back end figured out before you, you even try on the front end. Right. So I, that's why I say, know who your sellers are. I mean, who your buyers are, know what they buy and then find those deals because it's harder to get the deal and then try to find the buyer that fits it. You know, like you can do it both ways. Just the second one's harder. Yeah. Uh, and when you know who your buyers are and what they what they buy, it's easy to sell to them because you can find what they're looking for. Um, but with that said, um, there's several variables in those equations that need to be considered. Like we were talking about with the rehab. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know contractors, uh, build a vendors list of of contractors that your other buyers have worked with and would recommend um, like Hillco's policy is that we don't endorse or recommend anybody. Um, it, but we provide our like personal experience. Like we have a vendors list and if any of those people are good enough for us, try it yourself, you know? Um, but we're not responsible for anything cause we're not party to that rehab or flip or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then one of the other things that I think is important is uh, building relationships with lenders, you know, have a hard money lender that you can rely on um, and find hard money lenders in other markets because you may have a buyer 
that, for example, I have a buyer who's based out of Northern California who will buy anywhere, but his thing is he needs to have a contract crew that can do the work that he can rely on and have a lender who can lend to him in that area. So like he has a lender, but they will only lend for deals in California. We have a lender that we could recommend to him, but they only lend in Texas and a couple other states. So if we found a deal in a state that our lender doesn't lend in, it's not going to happen because he doesn't have um, a lender or a crew. So that brings me to our little plug. So (laughs) we've, are currently being sponsored by Longhorn Investments. Sponsorship by Longhorn Investments. <laughs> and and they're, they're a local hard money lender here in San Antonio. They operate in the central Texas um, area. So, well, Jade Flores does. She's the re- the regional manager for the central Texas area. Great person. Um, and uh, Longhorn Investments, though, they operate in a couple of states. Do you remember what those are? I believe it's um, <clears throat> Tennessee, uh, North Carolina, Missouri. Um, I believe uh, a few others come on off the top of my head. I want to say there's like five states. Massachusetts? No, it wasn't Massachusetts. All right. (laughs) But there's a a few of them, and and that's the great part about Longhorn is they already established in those states. So who's to say you're not experimenting with virtual wholesale? And I will definitely hit those markets if you already know of a uh, well-renowned hard money lender. Right. who's accurate in numbers and has a backing credibility that's kind of does have to work for you yeah yeah and we have had like this year alone i want to say 20 percent of our deals were saved by hard money lenders where we have relationships with hard money lenders and our buyers they have relationships with their own hard money lenders and they came to the table looking at our contracts and saying man um, I can't do it because the numbers are too tight. My lender won't won't lend me enough or whatever. And then we'll turn around and say, hey, have you tried this lender? You know, one of the people that we work with, have you contacted them before? And, you know, in all those situations, they're like, no, I've never used that person or that company. So we put them in touch. And usually within same day, couple hour turnaround, the hard money lender will uh, give a, a, a pricing sheet of, you know, estimated cash to close out of pocket. And uh, our lenders that we were using um, offered better deals than their existing lenders. And it was able to uh, make the deal happen. Right. So have some options, know, know what your resources are. And again, know your buyers, because right. if you know what your buyer's budget is and who they're working with, and you can give them some options, the chances of you closing a deal are that much better. Um, especially if you're trying to do the, uh, you know, virtual co-wholesaling type of thing. Um, it's totally possible. It's just, you got to put the pieces together. Yeah, definitely. And and I'll just touch in here. I have confirmation of the states that Longhorn does operate in. So we have Texas, Missouri, Indiana, Tennessee, Alabama, and North Carolina. Awesome. But yeah, I think, um, a big part of what helps, a JV or a new wholesaler. Big shout out to a lot of you brand new wholesalers that are out there grinding because we see you. And yeah. We know the amount of effort that 
it takes to really get things rolling. And some of you are, are battling a full-time job yeah. or even a part-time or even a family and, and still getting things done. So big kudos to you. Uh, but what I wanted to also touch on is just managing expectation. That's a big part mm-hmm. between seller, wholesaler, lender, expectations are key and if you were to bring everything up within the initial call the first conversation that's a big thing on what's going to help uh smoothen uh your your closing process like how we mentioned earlier in the podcast a lot of the numbers may be off um and maybe a, a buyer is only willing to pay so much for that particular criteria but it's just having that conversation with the seller and saying hey you know we're experienced in this but just so you know and i want to make sure we have proper expectations that a deal may fall through mm-hmm. due to your asking price or said rehab or said uh only offers coming in at this amount you know right and that's just a big thing that we do have control over. And uh, what I have seen is a lot of new wholesalers are kind of just what we talk about not doing is overpromising. <laughs> yeah, I think our big thing on Hillco and why we're so um, well known is we underpromise, overdeliver. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big slogan. I think we're putting on our T-shirts pretty soon, <laughs> <laughs> or coffee mugs or something. That's our trademark. No one else take it. But <clears throat> that's the idea of of just setting those proper expectations. That really will just set your wholesale career off um, over others. You know, uh, having virtually strangers trust your word over anybody else who's like yeah i can get you the 50 100k that you need just go through me and then you come back to them and say yeah you can only walk away with a thousand two thousand or yeah. something yeah like, well that's actually that's what happened with yeah, that's the, a real example with the, the deal that i was working recently yeah you know the wholesaler had promised the seller that they were going to get ten thousand and after looking at the numbers um it was like bro like realistically uh like first off you should offer them nothing because like we're basically as a sub two we're taking over their loan payments and we're going to save them from going into foreclosure um Mm. and there's really like no margin here but if like they absolutely need something the most we can give them is like 500 600 bucks so negotiate with that Right, and of course the seller said no because you know they were they were expecting ten thousand, not three hundred. Right, you know, yeah, expectations. It's so important, and uh, I was going to segue into something else, but completely left my mind. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. We're just people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, no worries. We at least got the Longhorn plug in there. Yeah, there you go. Hey. We love Jade Flores. She has a great team, a great system, um, and great um, deal, I guess, for when it comes to hard money. It's really competitive out there, and um, not many of them will fund your purchase price, your rehab, and at a pretty considerable rate. Yeah. You know, uh, I know it, it may vary from deal to deal. And if you ever thought about getting a hard money lender here in Texas, uh, please reach out to her and you'll be surprised what kind of. Um, uh, I guess what type of deal she can provide for you in your unique case. You know, there's no guarantees here. Just set an expectation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real estate. You should expect something is going to go wrong. Yeah, exactly. 
And uh, oh yeah, that's what I was gonna share. Um, now that you mentioned things going wrong, <laughs> <laughs> a quick plug-in. I mean, I can even share one of my first deals that I've contracted, and it it was a process of getting the seller down on his price, getting the rehab numbers to realistic, and getting the buyers up to where we need them. Mm-hmm. All of that came into expectations to where the first initial call we got the seller. I got the seller at where we needed, 75 to 80 range. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then uh, the seller had a lot of things to think about and um, had a loan that they needed to take uh, take care of through the proceeds. Mm-hmm. And so he, they ultimately, that seller stuck their sell price in the hundreds, mm-hmm. 100, 115, I believe, to uh, 100 to 98, 95, like high 90s. Yeah. And it wasn't until month two, trying to get into the pro- property and tenants, the tenants were very difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, month two, finally getting in there, seeing the condition, getting our numbers, uh, everything faxed, uh, hard numbers to show seller and buyers. And um, all numbers said that 75 to 80 range that we needed to be in was right on the money. Mm-hmm. That was the one way to get it sold and we would maybe make a tiny bit just for our times and services and uh, the seller wouldn't come down from that mm-hmm. and I was like hey I just mentioned like proper expectations the first conversation we had was we were going to have to be in that 75 to 80 range and at first you said it was great um, and, and you bring it up to light that you had a loan left on it Mm-hmm. Now you're asking for a little bit more, which I understand that's fair because you have things to take over, mm-hmm. but the property won't move at that price. And so it, it took a month three <clears throat> back and forth, hard numbers. Hey, we need to come down in price. You know, the only way it's not selling is because it's priced too high. Mm-hmm. I was like, buyers have looked at it. At least 15 to 20 people went out and saw the property. We had three to five different contractors all have hard bids. Mm-hmm. Like that's how solid we were working to get this deal going. And, you know, the seller just wouldn't go down on his price point. And uh, it's almost like begging in a way. You have to pick at him. Like uh, Marco Romero likes to say, it's like a little pickaxe. You just pick at him each conversation mm-hmm. piece by piece by piece. And so, um, yeah, that's what I wanted to share. It's just sometimes these deals fall through. The seller at this case wasn't uh, willing to work mm-hmm. with uh, the situation. And uh, parties had to walk away from it. Uh, the buyers weren't willing to come up. And I think that's like a, a big slogan that I remember Hernando Arce here, our acquisitions manager, always mentions is, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter about the market value, but what buyers are willing to pay for it. Right. And uh, yeah, that's a big piece in managing expectations um, and just being on top of your stuff. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to be the, the hard cop and, and press these sellers like a reality check here. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine I wasn't making these calls for you. Would you take these deals? You know, mm-hmm. what do you want to do? Because that's the only way that this property will move. Yeah. And that's that's doing a contract or a deal in your market. Yeah. Like the, the, the added complexity of trying to do something like that in a city or that's located in a state not where you live. And that, yeah. having to juggle communication with not just the seller, but the wholesaler who has the contract um, like that, it obviously is a little takes a little bit more work, you know, um, and that goes back to, you know, again, setting the expectations. Like when I do co-wholesale deals, um, 
the one of the first things I bring up is um, well after I verify that the deal is a deal, um, I bring up the uh, the assignment fee. You know, like you're obviously you the wholesaler have this under contract. You have a fee on there. You expect to get paid. I expect you to get paid, but I also expect to get paid too. You know, and if I'm going to bring half of the deal, the buyer because you're bringing this, the seller, I'm bringing the buyer. If I'm doing half the deal, I should get half the fee. That's only fair, you know? Um, and that's especially true if you're having to, um, you know, coordinate with someone in a completely different city or a completely different state. And um, I mean, sure, there's a little bit of wiggle room depending on who you're working with, you know, especially if it's a, a more uh, reputable wholesaler that hasn't done business with you, they probably want to try you out first. Um, you know, be negotiable. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, but also set those expectations. Like, um, and I'm you know doing a couple of deals right now with several different wholesalers I've never done business with, and you know they're uh, adamant and stuck that they're not going to do the 50 50. Um, they want to do like I'll give you 20 percent or. Uh, let's do a 70 30 and you know after the conversation is like okay look um, i'm willing to concede to that and and we're gonna i'm gonna take a little less than 50 but understand you know if we do business in the future this is the only time we do it this way um, and you should expect that we're gonna do a 50 50 on any deal afterwards but i'm willing to you know prove myself to being able to bring a buyer that we can get it done and if we can get it done then I expect, you know, a, more business, a, a, yeah. a fair pay for more business, you know. Right, definitely. I was gonna mention something again. <laughs> oh, I this this is like, uh, oh, just came to my mind. For you viewers listening, I wanted to ask Mike, what were some go-to things that a JV should have? Maybe a co-wholesaler should have bringing a deal to somebody else i think that would be pretty good to touch on i was just thinking maybe off the top of my head we want to find out be very transparent in finding out what they have it under contract for that's a big part of their what's their assignment fee what they're looking to get out of it so normally i'm i'm a little careful with that because mm. um reaching out to somebody let's say like on facebook they don't know you they've never met you they probably haven't seen your profile Chances are they may not even have heard of Hillco Homes. They have no idea who you are. Um, you want to build proper rapport first. And the first thing you go in there, uh, if you go in there asking, you know, what is this under contract for and what is your fee? Their immediate thought is he wants to cut out my fee. And that's not what we want to do. Right. Like we want, yes, we want to uh, make something off of this, but we don't want to do it at the expense of them. You know, so we want to have a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, <clears throat> I think a better approach is asking, what are they selling it at? Because from there, we can you can work kind backwards. of you can kind of work backwards and guess and figure out what it's under contract for. Um, if they're a reasonable, you know, somewhat experienced wholesaler, um, because if they can give you an ARV and you can validate the ARV. You can work backwards and see at the 75% rule, these are roughly the rehab numbers, which means if they want a fee of, you know, eight to 15K, where do they sit? So the contract price must be at around this. Right. And if 
you can then turn around and say, hey, look, I've run the numbers. I validated you know, all the things that you've given me. Um, I'm assuming the contract is kind of in this ballpark. If they come back and say, yeah, that's what the contract is at, you've basically just proven that you know your shit. Yeah, like, definitely. Like they, they have nothing to hide from you because you'll figure it out anyway. Right. And, um, and, and I think that that speaks volumes to them about your capacity as a wholesaler. Um, and if they know that you know your stuff and you're real um, and you're upfront and honest about everything, um, then they should be willing to work with you. And if they're not, then that's probably not good business anyway. Right. Yeah. And I would say, <clears throat> how do you feel about maybe having rehab bids already done before sending it out to someone else? That's ideal. Yeah. I mean, if there's if there's a contractor who's already walked the property and given, uh, you know, a, a relatively recent rehab bid, and if there's multiple bids, that's even better because then you have a range of options. Um, but that's that's always ideal because. Uh, a rehabber's bid is going to trump an estimation from what the wholesaler is going to say. I mean, it, no, no disrespect to wholesalers, right? Like we ourselves, most of us are investors already. Like we go and evaluate uh, properties as if they are going to be our own portfolio investments. And we have to know those numbers too. That's why we're we have the ability to sell them to other investors because we can we know where they're coming from, um, but not every wholesaler is a good investor. Right, like, you can be an investor, but that doesn't mean you know your, your how to do it. Mm-hmm. You can you can be a bad investor. Uh, there's a lot of those, yeah. and and they they lose money all the time. It doesn't mean that they know what they're doing. So having a couple of rehab bids is ideal because you can have options. Um, I, if there is a rehab bid, I would prefer that over the estimated rehab just because it's a contractor. But at the same time, I would take it with a grain of salt because I don't know that contractor. They could do a shitty job. Mm-hmm. And it, just because they're giving me a bid doesn't mean it's a good bid. Right. So just um, variety is key there. Right. And uh, I would, something I would actually add on to there is, you know, most cases, some of these sellers, you can't trust either. You know, right. they're like, hey, yeah, I just need some patchwork, yeah. a little updating, 5, 10K easy. And you go over there, it's like you need 25, 30K of just taking off all the old <laughs> materials, yeah. uh, a crack on the wall that they thought was just from... I don't know, rough housing turned out to be the house was trying to kill itself. (laughs) Something crazy going on in the property. And um, sometimes these are uh, business professionals that are the sellers, you know, people who Mm -hmm. are experienced investing from 30 years back and they've held on to these properties. They've seen a thing or two. And then there's something to also consider is the world has changed a whole lot since then. So markets are different. Uh, The, uh, dollar amount f- per work is different and there's so many different things uh, that play a key into that but yeah you always got to be guarded I think you the more you prepare yourself or you'll um, you'll give yourself that ammo basically yeah yeah so <clears throat> I guess to kind of uh, bring it back to your question or your point rather for the audience listening um, and I think this is you know relevant for anybody who listens to the podcast that 
if you are doing deals, if you are a wholesaler or you're aspiring to be a wholesaler and you don't have a big buyer's list or maybe you have a deal and need help selling that deal, um, like if you want to send it to us, we're happy to help you. You can send it to any wholesaler, but when you do send a contract to another wholesaler, there are certain criteria that that needs to be disclosed. Um, and just like, you know, we were talking about, you know, what is the asking price that, that you're selling it to the buyer? Um, you know, we, uh, I want to know if there's a rehab bid um, and what the re estimated re uh, repairs are going to be uh, conservatively if it was going to be, you know, a flip. Um, I also want to see pictures or video of the property and, uh, you know, Hilco has a policy that we do at least 30 pictures of the inside and outside. Um, and, and these are just, they're not like pull out your phone real quick and snap a shot. Like, like make <laughs> sure that it's clear, make sure that, um, you know, the investor who may not physically be able to go see the property can at <clears throat> least see what's going on to the property from the pictures, yeah. you know, they should be able to see, um, you know, and take pictures of things that are relevant. Like if, you know, the fuse box is blown open, like take a picture of it. <laughs> you know, if, uh, if the, the siding, yeah, the water heater, you know, take a picture of, um, you know, anything with the plumbing, if it's, there's something exposed, uh, take a picture of the light fixtures. Um, you know, uh, if there's a slope in the floor, take a picture, uh, that's at a wide view. So you can clearly see that there's a slope in the floor. Um, if there's panels missing on the outside of the house and you can see the pier and beam foundation, take a picture of the foundation, you know, get, get as good of a shot as you can of, of everything. You know, if the, it has HVAC, take a picture of the HVAC, multiple angles. Um, you know, if the, if it has window units, take a picture of the window units, where they're located. Um, you know, how many there are, if there's, uh, you can take a picture of the windows because not all of them may, may be new. Some of them could be old and never touched or maybe haven't even been opened in like five years. Damn. You know, you don't know if they're, if they're in good working condition. Um, you know, take a picture of the, uh, doorknobs and the locks, Bathrooms. you know, are they, are they any good? Um, or are they just like, you know, fucking using a bungee cord to keep the door locked. You know, like, <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> I've actually yeah, seen that. that. That's why I'm saying like, <laughs> you know, like take pictures that are, are relevant, you yeah. know, like the investor wants to know how much money am I going to put into this? And you know, that's, um, what's that word? Uh, omission. Yeah. Mm. If you're, if you're not taking quality pictures of relevant things, you're omitting and the liability could be on you, yeah. you know, um, and, and even, and that's why we encourage investors to actually physically walk through the property, but they, they can't always do that. So, you know, we have to be that partner that's reliable and honest. And, uh, if we want their business again, you know, we have to, we have to go the extra mile to give them that information. Um, the other thing is comps, you know, like ARVs are great, but how did you get those ARVs? You know, if you can get comps, that's, that's the ideal thing. So, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm working with a co-wholesaler, I'm going to ask for comps for rehab. Um, the, how much time is left on the contract to close? Is it at title and has it cleared title? 
um, if it's free and clear. You know, is there a mortgage? Is there a lien? Are there owed taxes? You know, any of that stuff. Um, and then find out, of course, what the selling price is to the buyer. Um, once I have those things, I can pretty much determine if it's going to be a deal or not. And I can go to my buyers and start pitching it. Um, and of course, at that point, that's where you can start discussing specifics of what is this actually under contract for? What is your assignment fee? Are we going to split it 50 50? How are we going to do this? Um, and then, you know, work, work out those little minor details. Well, I wouldn't say minor cause they are important, but, uh, to get the ball rolling, those are the things you need. Awesome. Cool. Well, We've been at this now for almost an hour. We were <laughs> no supposed way. to sit down and do this in a 15, 20 minute podcast episode. And we ended up with a one hour episode. Just content. Content. <clears throat> so. well, next time we'll shoot for building a brand. How about that? We'll okay. hold it off for another episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to the uh, Hilco Homes podcast, everything wholesale. And um, yeah. Yeah. If you have any questions, reach out to us, uh, follow us on Facebook, um, follow us on Instagram, send us a direct message. If you have questions, if you, uh, have a topic you want us to go over on the podcast, um, you know, uh, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, let us know. Um, that's the best way to do it. And, um, we hope to hear from you. We want to hear from you. I know there's a few of you out there who are international, who are listening to our show from some other country. Let us know where you're from. Uh, let us know, uh, what, what wholesaling is like for you. Have you done wholesaling? Uh, do you wholesale in your, in your country? Are you an investor that buys there and in the U S and I'm curious to see how that's different in both places. Um, some of you might know that uh, my background has been uh, doing uh, working with investors from other countries, primarily Australia and Hong Kong and even Canada. Um, so I kind of understand that, yes, there are differences, but there's a lot of similarities. I don't know a whole lot about other places that you guys might be from. So let us know. I'd love to hear from you. So that's it for us today. Till next time. Till next time, guys. Adriel Ramos here. New at name is... Uh partner with adriel yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right heard it here first <laughs> exactly <laughs>